You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. It's been setting us up for 2016 and I believe it's a, it's a foundation from which the Lord truly wants us to launch into not just 2016 but for the rest of our lives as a church. I, I believe that if we will position ourselves in a posture of unconditional, unreserved surrender to Jesus and his word, where no matter what Jesus' word, his Bible tells us, we will unconditionally obey it. We will follow it. We will set our sights on course and we will be obedient to whatever it instructs us to do. But out of that platform of being obedient to the revealed will of God, the Bible, we will become even more sensitive to the specific will of God, the the voice of God to our own heart, to our own daily walk, to the decisions and the challenges that we face personally, where sometimes the Bible doesn't give us clear direction, but the Holy Spirit has been sent to be our guide, to be our director, to be our comfort and our support and our counsel when we're not sure what to do. He will counsel us into what we need to do that the Father is calling us into. And I believe that if we will posture ourselves in that place of unreserved surrender to Jesus and his word, and if we will, if we will do life out of drawing near to him and out of a, a devotional intimacy, and I don't, I don't just mean daily devotions, I, I, I mean a life that is devoted See, we can talk about devotions and we immediately, the connotation of that is, is that we, we set aside 10 minutes or 20 minutes or half an hour, whatever it might be, and I do my devotions. I, I'm talking about living a devoted life, a life that is devoted to the heart of God, the will of God, the call of God, the purpose of God, kingdom purpose over personal preference. So if we will submit unreservedly to him and if we will draw near to him and do life out of that intimate fellowship with him and if we will as James 4 7 tells us cleanse our hands proactively and intentionally cleanse our hands which speaks about our conduct our behavior what we do in life the lifestyle we choose to lead is it in alignment with the word of God is it in alignment with the heart of God for our life if we will cleanse our hands deal with our conduct and if we will purify our heart our motives the agendas behind why we do what we do, I believe passionately that spiritual potency will characterize every day of our life. Breakthrough and victory and power will be the fruit of a life that is submitted, that is drawing near, living out of intimacy with heaven, that is cleansing our hands, our conduct, and purifying our heart, our motives. Spiritual power will flow into our life. There is no doubt whatsoever from Scripture that we are in a war. And the war that we are in is over our God-given destiny. It's over our calling. I, I, I remember when I was a young Christian, I was sitting at the time under teaching about the Bible being the authentic word of God. The Bible is infallible. The Bible is God's word to us today. There are no, no contradictions in it. There are no mistakes in it. It is God's infallible word. Now, I understand with some of the translations that we have today, it's not dead accurate to what the original manuscript 
gives us. That's why we need to study to show ourselves approved. That's why we need to dig deeper to find whether the translators have really got the full meaning out of the original text, which was written in the New Testament, predominantly Greek, some Aramaic, and the Old Testament written in Hebrew. And so um, the, the reality is we, we need to be people who are in the word. Now, when I was a young Christian, the teaching was God's word is the Bible and we need to live by it and follow it. And I remember one day experiencing as a very, very young Christian, my first ever spiritual attack. I didn't know it was a spiritual attack at the time, but I went home from a Sunday night church meeting where the Bible is being preached. And I got a revelation that God's Bible, his word is what I need to follow and build my life upon, build my future upon, build my relationships upon, build my marriage upon and build my family and so on. I went home, I got on my knees beside my bed. I said, God, no matter what, that was a dangerous statement. I said, no matter what, I will follow your word and I will do what it tells me to do. Whether I like it or not, whether it's painful or not, whether it's uncomfortable or not, whatever your word tells me to do, I will, I will do it. I will follow it. I got into bed that night feeling so elated, so spiritually blessed, so pumped up from church only a few hours before and so stirred in my call to God and I was pursuing it with a passion. I felt good. I was ready to sleep and my head hit the pillow and suddenly my back teeth began to ache. Out of nowhere, it was like an intense toothache. And then my back began to ache at the same time as my teeth. Then my head began to ache. It just came from nowhere. And I didn't know what it was, but I wrestled and tossed all night with these pains in my body. But something inside of me said, there's something spiritually about this, spiritual about this. There's something spiritually connected to what I'm experiencing right now. Now, as a young Christian, I didn't understand. So I just went to my pastor and I told him what had happened. He said, what did you pray before you got into bed? I told him what I prayed. And he said, you've just experienced what we would call a spiritual attack. It's the enemy rising up to block you and stop you from actually following through on that resolve to be obedient to the word of God. Because the devil knows that when you are obedient to the word of God, when you hear the voice of God and you obey the voice of God, the devil knows the scripture in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24 that if you hear these words of mine and do them, you can't just hear them, you actually have to do them. But if you hear them and you do them, you will be like a man who builds his house upon a solid rock. And now he's talking about our life. You'll be like a man who, like a man who builds his house upon a rock. When the storms and the challenges and the disappointments and the setbacks and the things that come across our path that seek to destroy our faith and crush our resolve to grow in God, you know, when those things come, the Bible promises that if we're hearing his word and we're doing it, we're building our life upon his word, then those storms will come and they will pass and we'll still be standing. But if we hear his word and we don't do them, the Bible says we're like a man who builds his house upon the sand. Now, most of you know the rest of that story. When the floods come, when the storm comes, when the wind blows, that, crash, that house will come crashing down and great will be its fall. So the devil knows that the word of God is a lamp to my feet. He knows that it's a light to my path. A lamp to what? The path into God's purpose for my life. The path into God's redemption, the path into God's deliverance, the path into God's healing, the path into God's protection, the pathway into God's provision. And his word is a lamp to my feet to get me into those things. And the devil knows that. So he will do everything possible. He will pull every trick out of his bag to try and undo your resolve and stop you from actually embracing the word of God and living by it 
with all your heart. Surrendering to it and submitting to it with all your heart. He will do everything he can to interfere and to sabotage what God is trying to build within you. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. What does that mean? He's talking about the devil, the enemy of our soul. The fallen angels who are the principalities and powers that Paul speaks of in Ephesians. That we we don't wrestle against. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. Against wicked rulers in the heavenly places. He's talking about that's the thief. Those demonic entities. And he said the thief only comes for one reason. To steal, kill and destroy. And in our case he comes to steal our joy. In our case he comes to kill our faith. And in our case, he comes to destroy our future, our calling, our purpose in God. But Jesus went on and said, but I have come that you, they, us might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Our destiny, the life that we are called to is a life of breakthrough, a life of victory, a life of overcoming. It's a life filled with Jesus and his health, his wholeness, his goodness, his provision in every aspect of our life. And the enemy is out to steal, kill and destroy the resolve to embrace that. And the only thing that will combat that is an unconditional surrender. It's an unconditional submission to Jesus. And it's, you know, we say, I've received Jesus as my Lord, but have we truly surrendered our life to him as Lord? Is he truly our Lord or is he just hold the title, but we really are Lord because we do what we want to do when we want to do it and we hope that God will bless our endeavors or our, our intentions or whatever it is we're involved in. The devil will do everything he can to get you from submitting, to get you from drawing near, to get you from cleansing your hands, your conduct and purifying your heart, your motives. He will do everything he can because he knows that's where spiritual power and spiritual potency lies. You know, he will tempt you into things that are contrary and that are uh, subtly insidious to God and his purpose in your life. He, He will lure you into things and even seemingly good things. He will lure you into things that you can justify and say, but this is a good thing. Remember the story. I think it's Luke chapter 14. Jesus talked about a man who held a great feast and he went out and he invited people in. He's not talking about a man holding a great feast. He's talking about the gospel being presented to you and I. He's talking about the good news, about the salvation that's being offered through Jesus on the cross. He says the good news has gone out and people began to make excuse. One said, I bought a piece of property. I need to go and inspect it. I cannot come. Another one said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm expanding my business. I'm growing my career. Look, I'm really caught up in this. Thanks for the invite, but I cannot come. I'm busy at the moment and I've got other things to do. Another one said, I've married a wife. Well, that's probably a reasonable excuse for not going, but he probably wasn't allowed. But... (laughs) Give an amen from you're sitting between two at the moment, Paul. I'd be very careful if I was you. <laughs> you know, listen to me. You know, buying a piece of land is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with investment. There's nothing wrong with building a nest egg. There's nothing wrong with building your superannuation. There's nothing wrong with increase. There's nothing wrong with growing and prospering. There's nothing wrong with that. Buying a piece of land is a good thing. Expanding your business, buying five yoke of oxen. Maybe that's not what you'd buy. You might go and buy a new Stanley toolkit. But the five yoke of oxen were tools of trade. You might go and buy a new truck, a new Hilux, 
and you, whatever it is, to expand your business, and you've got to go and inspect it, and you've got to make this happen, and you've got to do this, and, and you've got, ma- the, you know, the amount of young people over the years that I've seen locked in, involved, connected, planted in the house, get married, and all of a sudden they just kind of disappear off the scene. You see them in church from time to time, not even every Sunday. And then when, when you kind of gently pastorally ask them about it, they always come back with, well, in the Old Testament, the soldiers took a year off when they got married. It's like, well, what, what, um, what army are you fighting in right now that you need to take a year off? It's like, if you really want to use that argument, I hope you told your boss you won't be coming to work for the next 12 months. Because it was their job. These soldiers were employed. Now, I've said that to say this. You know, the devil will use everything to entice you away from pursuing the purpose of God in your life, from submitting, from drawing near, from cleansing your hands, from purifying your heart. He will try everything, even seemingly good things. Here's the question. All those things are good things that Jesus talked about, but have the good things in our life actually become bad things because they've now given us a reason to not give our whole heart to God. So good things can become really, really bad things if they give us a reason to not be planted in the house, to not grow and not be connected, to not be serving, to not be pursuing, to not be seeking first the kingdom of God. You know, it doesn't say seek first the kingdom of God unless you've bought five yoke of oxen, that is. It doesn't say seek first the kingdom of God unless you've just recently got married. Can you hear what I'm, I'm saying? You know, the devil will use everything. And he, will, he, he won't use the blatantly, obviously detrimental. You know, for those of you who have never touched drugs, he's not going to get a dealer to cross your path on the street and say, you want to buy some ice tonight? You, you know, I know what your reaction would be, the same as mine. He will entice you in areas that he knows are luring to you. He knows there's a weak spot for you and he will steer you away from where you need to go. That's why 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us be sober, be alert, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's watching like a hawk. He's watching your weaknesses. He's watching, you know, they're not in church very regularly. There's a weak spot there. I can, I can probably get a wedge in there. In fact... I reckon I can get a wedge in far enough to get a foot in there. And if I get a foot in there, that gives me a foothold. Actually, I think there's a scripture in the Bible about the devil getting a foothold. I'm the devil. I reckon I could get a foothold there. And if I get a foothold there, I'll get a lot more control over this person's life. And they won't even know I'm doing it because it's the good things that they're actually being lured away by. Is this okay? You know, the devil is a beast hungry for prey. Seeking whom he may devour, like a roaring lion. A lion is a beast of prey. You know, they prey on the vulnerable. They prey on the weak. They prey on the isolated. I've watched the documentaries. I think they're fascinating. And I always get teary when, when the poor little, little deer gets kind of isolated and the lions bring him down. You think, oh, man, you know, where's mum and dad? Go in there and help him, you know. It's like, but he's isolated. And the enemy will prowl watching for a moment where you're isolated and you disconnect. And he'll, he'll come in and he will attack. You know, he, he, will, he will attempt, he will entice, he will lure you into his web, into his trap. He'll block or distract our attempts to position ourselves, not only where, but also with whom we will grow. 
And he is very, very insidious about how he goes about doing it. Psalm 92 verse 13 says, Those who are planted in the house of God will flourish. When something's planted, it's always there. You know, I, I planted a whole stack of marea bushes across my back fence years ago so it would grow a big hedge. And I didn't come out a week later and find, oh, they've, they've just gone for a walk for a little while. Hopefully they'll come back. And then the next week I come back, two of them are back, two haven't returned yet. And then the next one, oh, it's back. You know, every time I look out, they're there. So planted means remain. It means you, you're there. And it doesn't mean you have to be in church every single Sunday without missing. I, I'm not saying that. But, but you're a familiar face when you're planted. You're always in the garden. You're always present. Your face is always seen. You're always you know, in the forefront. You're always connected. You're always... Those that are planted in the house of God will flourish. Not those that say, I'll try this church this week and I'll try that church another week. Or even, hey, I, I think I'll go to a connect group in that church, but I'll attend the Sunday service in that church because I like the preaching there, but I like the connect group there. And it's like a smorgasbord of whatever. And we're just sitting around getting fat as Christians. And there's no accountability. There's no, there's no nourishment. There's no consistent flow that goes into a plant that is planted that causes it to flourish. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise. But the companion of fools will be destroyed. We can very quickly justify some of our fools as being wise when in fact the Bible, when we really read the Bible, tells us they're fools. Because their life is not lined up with the word of God. And if our life is not lined up with the word of God, we're actually foolish. We're not, we're not wise. Be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. You see, I'm only telling you what the Bible says. Are you running with people that actually are pursuing God? Are you running with people who are going where you want to go? Are you planted alongside people who are growing? That when you get a little bit dry, they can feed you some of their nutrients. And, and there's that interlocking. But, you know, as many of you know, with a green thumb, and Margot's not one of them, um, you, she's getting better. She's growing herbs on our balcony at the moment, and they're actually growing. They are growing. There's five little tomatoes on the little tomato vine she planted. If the kids pick them, I'll kill them. Because they're about that big and they're five little ones. She's doing okay. But if you are a green thumb person, you know, you go, I'll plant that plant there. No, I don't like that. I don't think I'll put it there. So you put it there. No, I don't like that either. And then a month later, I'll rip it up and I'll put it there. How many of you know that plant is not going to survive? That's why the Bible uses these analogies because our life is very much the same. If we are not rooted and grounded in the house of God, we will not flourish. That's just a biblical principle. And the devil will do everything he can to entice us and lure us away. And he'll use good things to get us to do it. Because the good things are going, well, you know, God would be into this. God would bless this. God would be okay with that. Yeah, he would, in certain contexts. But if the good things give us a reason to not give our whole heart to God, then the good things have become bad things. Yeah, he will create circumstances that will ensure that you are not regularly in church. He will create circumstances that will ensure that you are not regular in church. I, I just last night, it's interesting, I just, for the first time ever, I watched, I watched The War Room. And uh, it's a powerful movie. It really is a powerful movie about the power of prayer. And well, I just, it was on the coffee table. Margot's got it from somewhere. It was on the coffee table. I thought, I'll just watch that. So I put it on and I, I began to watch it. And it really got me in on the, the power of prayer. But this, this old black African lady's mentoring this other young black African lady in a marriage problems and what have you. And this older lady, you know, she's talking to her about church. You know, she said, uh, so where do you go to church? She says, where, where she goes to church. She said, uh, 
You, do you go regularly? She said, oh, well, I get there when I can. I, I go occasionally. And the old lady said, is that because your pastor preaches occasionally? I thought, I like that. I'll use that. That'll preach. I don't preach occasionally. This is my third time in a row, actually, if you hadn't noticed. But, and I'm building something. And I, I want to encourage you. If you're kind of just in and out, you're not getting what's being built. And you could say, oh, well, I'll listen to it online. That's if we ever actually do. Because so many things distract us and the enemy will bring good things into our life to distract us from actually getting the time to listen to the thing online that's going to build us. And a month will go by and we think, oh, I've forgotten even what it was. And we're not even on the same wavelength. You know, it's like we need to be planted consistently. The enemy will do everything he can to ensure that you are regularly kept away from church. I want to show you something. Ezekiel chapter 34. Don't put it up yet, Nip, But Ezekiel chapter 34 is an interesting passage of scripture. It's very, very sobering for people like me. It's a challenge to shepherds who are not shepherding in a godly manner. It's a challenge to church leaders who are actually, if you like, fleecing the flock. Church leaders who are getting fat off the flock. Church leaders who are using their position to, to fulfill an internal need to be power hungry or to be in control or to be recognized, to, you know, to have a title. I'm the pastor and I'm somebody special. Let, let me tell you something. I'm no different to you. I'm no more special than you are. I just have a different anointing to you, a different calling on my life to you. But I put my trousers on one leg at a time every morning, just like all the other blokes do in this place. And I have my flaws and I have my weaknesses. But there's a bigger responsibility upon the mantle that I carry, upon the role that I hold. God will call me to account. And that scares me at times. God will call me to account for every decision I make as the leader of this church. He will call me to account for every call that I have, I have, have made and every, every action I have put in motion. He will call me to account for that. It actually gives me comfort, but it scares me at the same time. But in Ezekiel 34, it challenges the shepherds. God will judge them for their bad behavior, for their selfishness. But it brings out another aspect. In an Ezekiel 34, verses 5 through 8, says, So they, talking about the sheep, and it's as the result of the bad behavior of the shepherds, Okay, but I want to show you what happens to sheep when they're scattered, whether it's as the bad behavior of shepherds or not. This is what happens. They were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. That's a scary thing. So you see, we are likened to sheep. The enemy is likened to a lion who prowls around seeking whom he may devour. If a sheep becomes isolated from the flock, he is a prime target for the devil and he will take that little lamb out. The devil is stronger than you. Don't ever underestimate the power of the enemy. He, you can only defeat the enemy in the power of the Holy Spirit who is in us and with us. And you can only operate in that power when we are submitted to God, when we're drawn near in intimacy, when we've cleansed our hands and purified our hearts. I don't know how much more simple I can actually state that, but it's the truth. They became food for the beasts of the field when they were scattered, disconnected from the flock. Are you, have you been a sporadic church attender? Have you been one that just goes when you feel like it, when there's nothing else on? You know, when the footy's not on, when the cricket's not on, when something else is not on. Oh, we're going out for a family thing. God's into building families. There's the good thing. That can actually become a bad thing. God's into building families in his house. 
You know, it's like we've got to build strength into our families. And it's like when the sheep become scattered, we become a prime target for the enemy. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Right now, I'm searching, searching and I'm seeking for you. As a shepherd, what I'm saying to you is an act on my part, reaching out, seeking and searching for you. I'm hoping right now the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction upon you so that you go, 2016 is going to be a different year. I'm going to find myself planted in the house of God. I'm going to do life out of the house of God, out of fellowship with strong believers. I'm going to do it under the preaching of God's word. And folks, I'll say it as bluntly as I can. If I'm not preaching God's word, find a church that does. I cut you loose. If you don't believe I'm preaching the word of God, I cut you loose. Go where you believe the word of God is preached. So it says, you know, that they, that no one sought, sought them or, or went looking for them. Therefore, shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey, because they were disconnected, and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd. When you're disconnected from the flock, when it's your choice, where's the shepherd? Oh, I serve the great shepherd. Well, actually, if you serve the great shepherd, you do what he tells you to do, and you would not forsake your regular gathering together, as is the habit of some, and you would follow your shepherd's word that says, be planted in the house of God where you will flourish. He will bombard us with more cares than we can imagine. The devil will do everything to destroy our resolve from actually submitting, drawing near, cleansing, and purifying. He will do everything he can. He will then bombard us with every care in the world, things that will distract us, things that will consume our emotions, things that will consume our mind, our mental health, things that will begin to weigh down on us. He will distract us. Remember the parable of the sower. Jesus said a sower went out to sow. Now, he's not talking about a sower going out to sow. He's talking about the word of God hitting the human heart. And he explains that a little later. Some seed fell by the rocky places. Some fell by the wayside. Some went in amongst the thorns and some fell on good soil. And then, you know, the ones that sprouted up that just fell by the wayside, the birds of the air came and ate them up. You know, you know what the birds of the air are biblically? Principalities and powers. When you do a study of demonic entities and the principalities and powers that we are called to wrestle against, they are actually described as birds of the air. And Jesus said the principalities, the enemy, will come around. And the, the, the word that you hear on Sunday, if you're just a regular, irregular attender, you're just, oh, I'm here for the preaching. I hope it encourages me. You know, something that could change your life could have just been sprinkled into your heart. But you kind of, your heart's not receptive to it. And the enemy comes and he just takes that seed. You walk out, you forget what you've heard. And it has no effect whatsoever upon your life. Then he said, there are some that just fell amongst the rocks and the sun came up and scorched them. And, you, you know, it's like we just, we, nothing comes of it. There's no fruitfulness. Then it says, those that fall amongst the thorns. And the thorns quickly choke the word. The enemy will use the cares of this world to choke the word. Jesus gives the interpretation in the verses that follow. He said, the thorns, he said, uh, is when the cares of this world become overwhelming and they begin to choke the word out of your life. I want to tell you something about Denny Guglielmucci. Denny will not run away from God over this. He's a warrior of faith and power, that man. 
He will see this. All things will work together in my life. He will rise. He will fight. He will come back with a stick so big the devil will run with a tail between his legs. I know this man well enough to know this will not take him out. But yet so many far less minor things take out so many of us when we're, we're just... We're shallow in our faith. We're shallow in our devotional life. We're shallow in our walk with God. We're shallow in the word. Jesus goes on. He says that where the seed falls amongst the thorns, the cares of this world choke out the word. And he will make sure you're surrounded by so many cares. You know, there is no doubt from scripture that there is a war being waged over our God-given destiny. Again, I mentioned this, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 through 13. Paul says, we do not wrestle or struggle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Evil will come upon us in the midst of all that God is doing. Folks, evil will always be present. Read the book of Nehemiah. God was leading Nehemiah. God provided for Nehemiah. God protected Nehemiah. God went before Nehemiah. God did everything for Nehemiah to position him to rebuild the walls. But then you come to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, the enemy breaks loose. And evil begins to bombard and attack and discourage and choke out. And he begins to do his insidious, undermining, sabotaging, getting beneath the surface, white-anting everything that Nehemiah is trying to do. And many of us, when that happens to us, go, Oh, well, if God really cared, this would be happening nowhere God is moving evil will always be present that's why we have to walk close with God and that's what got Nehemiah through his battle through his challenge through his difficult time it was intimacy with God it was connection with heaven it was walking hand in hand with the Holy Spirit having done all stand what is the all that Paul talks about and I'm going to start landing this with these thoughts what is the all Paul speaks of and urges us to do well in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 he says therefore since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. I won't read the rest of that. What is it that weighs you down? Now, there's two things Paul talks about here. Cut off, strip off everything that weighs you down and the sin that so easily entangles you and the things that weigh you down and the sin. So the things that weigh you down aren't necessarily sin. They can be the good things in your life that have become bad things that now have stopped you from giving your whole life to God. So he says, strip off everything that weighs you down. Is it a hobby or a life interest that has ended up consuming more time than God would want it to? Is it a hobby or a life interest that has taken you away from being planted, from being involved, from being connected? Is it a hobby or a life interest that the enemy will set up to happen on Sunday morning at 9.30? Oh, well, it just seems to happen to clash with church. Church can wait. I'm going with my hobby. It's weighing you down. And I'm not here trying to beat you over the head. I'm, I'm appealing to you. I'm a shepherd seeking and searching for the lamb. And I'm praying right now the Holy Spirit gives you a revelation of the price that we will pay if we let these things sabotage the call of God and the purpose of God upon our life. What is it that weighs you down? What is it that grabs you? Is it the pursuit of more money? 
Is it the pursuit of more money that requires you to work so much overtime that you just have to put church and life and Christianity? You say, oh, well, I still pray. We can justify so much. You can pray and be disobedient. Folks, hear my heart. You can pray and pray and pray, but walk out and not do and do and do. It's hearing but not obeying. Is it, is it the pursuit of a dream house or is it ladder climbing? You know, it's like God's into promotion. He's into that. But is he leading you that way? Or is it become a selfish ambition driven by your desires and your wants rather than the call of God upon your life and the purpose of God upon you? I don't want to be embarrassed when Jesus returns and find that my talents were buried and I pursued things where moth and rust destroy and, and I have got no treasure laid up in heaven. I hope you come back next week. <laughs> you know, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, looking for earthly rather than heavenly recognition. Lovers of money, pursuing treasures on earth rather than treasures in heaven. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of God. He's talking about the church. Oh, I thought he was talking about the world. It's like some of you get on, oh, I can see that in the world today. Folks, it's rife in the church. It's rife in the house of God. It's rife in the family of God. They will be traitors. They will be headstrong. They will be proud, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. In other words, it's being in church, but not in Christ. First Timothy chapter 6, of course, we all know this. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith. You get the love of money into your heart. I tell you, it's one of the quickest things to sabotage your faith. It'll take you out of the house of God. It'll take you from being planted where you need to be planted. It'll remove you from running with people who will build you and grow you and encourage you and challenge you and inspire you. The love of money. It's the root of all kinds of evil. Some of you are going, oh, I don't have that problem. I've got no money to love. You know, it's like people without money often are the ones with the love of money because they, they're clutching for it. They're watching for their next Centrelink check. Got to get the next thing. I need money. I need, and they're often the ones knocking on the doors of welfare agencies. Oh, I just need a loan. I need, to, I need you to pay this bill because I can't pay the bill. But they've got the money to pay the bill, but they need the money. They want to spend it on something else. There's a love of money. There's an obsession with money, even though they've never got it. I've found some very, very wealthy people, godly wealthy people who do not have the love of money. The moment there's a need, they just pay it. The moment somebody is in a desperate situation, they very, very discreetly say, we'll fix that up. We'll take care of that. And they're building the house of God. There's not the love of money. They've got a gift on their life to make money, to expand the kingdom, to do something. But it's the motive of the heart. And that's why, again, we have to cleanse our hands and purify our heart. It's why we do what we do. What, you know, that, they're the things that so easily weigh us down. Good things that can become bad things because they give us an excuse not to give our whole heart to God. What, however, besetting sin? What recurring sin? What, what thing has you in a bind that you've struggled with and struggled with and struggled with? What, is it an anger problem? 
that sees you in, in a fit of rage when, when really as a Christ follower, someone walking in the Holy Spirit, someone living out of a daily intimacy with the Father should be displaying love and self-control. But, but instead, as a Christ follower, you've got this anger problem and you just keep exploding. What, what is it that, that is, 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 is latching onto your life and your heart? You know, is it, is it, maybe it's subtle, but is it a dishonest approach to life? Is it a, the white lie syndrome? There's no such thing. You might as well get into white witchcraft. It's like it's, it's all in the same bag. You know, is there a dishonest approach to life? Is there a dishonest approach to your taxes? Is there a dishonest approach to your business dealings? A dishonest approach with your neighbors? Are you underhanded? Do you do deals under the counter? Do you pocket some instead of declaring it? What, you know, whatever it is, is it something you've just got? Let me tell you something. You will never discover Jesus as Jehovah Jireh, your provider, while ever you are doing dishonest deals. Psalm 41 verse 12 says, He upholds me in my integrity. Not my lack thereof. What sin entang? Is it a gossiping or a lying tongue that can be ever so subtle that has you actually sowing seeds of discord and division amongst brothers? There's a subtle offence that's crept into your heart, so you just make passing comments, and you put a little bit of spiritual flavour to it, so that it sounds caring and concerning, and that you're praying it through. But the truth is, the motive that you haven't yet purified is actually about just sowing a little bit of discord and division and strife. When God wants us to build and encourage and unify and bring back together, what is, is, it a, is it pride that blocks your ability to actually look somebody in the eye and say, I was wrong, I am truly sorry. It horrifies me the amount of, of people in the house of God who cannot do that. It's like, you know, they're confronted. They go, yeah, well, okay, you're right. I made a mistake. Uh, let's move on. They don't want to go there. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to say, you know what? You're right. I was wrong. I owe you an apology and I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? You'd be shocked at how much unity that produces in a relationship. Shocked how much, much healing that that brings to a relationship. If we would just humble ourselves. And deal with those things. And I'm going to land with this. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination. I wonder sometimes whether Solomon was just there going, what was that, Lord, six things you hate? Did you just change your mind and say seven? Or did I just miss here? I, I don't know. But it says six things the Lord hates. Actually, seven. So I don't know why there was a hesitation. Maybe it's one of those scriptures that highlight he was doing it through men, and men are hard of hearing sometimes. I don't know. But there was seven. A proud look. These are things God hates. A proud look. A lying tongue. Oh, I, I don't tell lies. They're just little white fibs. They're lies. You can water it down. It's like calling an adultery an affair. It's adultery. It's, it's, like, it's like calling you know, love with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Just, well, we're in love. It's like, no, it's fornication. It's, it's like there are words for it. You can't, you can't water it down. He says he hates a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord amongst brothers. What, what things are weighing you down? What, 
What sin is so easily entangling you and tripping you up? I appeal to you. I urge you. Get before God and deal with it. What distractions has he brought into your life to keep you out of the house of God? Let 2016 be a year of planting and nourishment and nutrient and growth and expansion and influence. You sit back and you watch when you put God first in every area of your life. How much the blessing of God, the provision of God, the protection of God, the hand of God will flow over every aspect of who you are. James 4, 7 and 8. There's the scripture we preached last week. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let's do that this year. 2016 is a year of surrender. A year of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and submission to His Word over our lives, over our church, so that we can actually not be Christians, but Christ followers. Amen? Let's be Christ followers. God bless you.